You're checking out the Nifty Q Show. All right, good morning, good evening, good night. Welcome into another edition of the Nifty Q Show. I'm interviewing founders, leaders, and awesome builders in the NFT industry. Today, I'm sitting with Mobile Matt and Joao, co-founders of Bayes, a Web3 gaming company and esports content community hub. We'll be discussing mobile gaming and Web3, esports and NFTs, and much more. Guys, I'm excited to have you in here from around the world. Joao's in Brazil. Uh, Matt's over there on the the West Coast, so we're just having ourselves a party on Ape Day. Uh, Happy Ape Day, by the way. Ape Coin just hit. Uh, How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Excited to be here and and talk about all this. Man, there's so much exciting stuff happening in the space, and uh, just also really appreciate all the work that you and the the crew are putting you know these shows together. Um, One of the last episodes with one of our sub DAOs on with the Bayes Kong DAO, and uh, really really happy to be here today. So thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. Directly from Brazil. uh, I'm really excited to have this time here with you guys. Let's go. Yeah, shout out to Gold Mamba and shout out to everybody here in the chat uh, that is here along today. Guys, we are doing this live here on YouTube, but we are also uh, on Spotify. We're on iTunes. There is going to be a giveaway in the middle of the episode uh, for one of our projects that we just had on the Nifty Q show a couple days ago. So even you guys at home listening on audio, uh, you're going to have the chance to participate, but just stay tuned for that. So guys, uh, today's conversation is going to be a lot about mobile gaming. Matt, you have a, a big background there. Joao, you also are you know, working on adoption of Web3 and, and gaming uh, there in Brazil. So there's a couple ways we could take this to start. But just in general, kind of give me that background, man. Give me that traditional introduction into who you guys are and, and how you found yourselves in blockchain. Yeah, totally. I can uh, kick us off here. Um, uh, I go back basically to the beginning of the mobile esports industry in the United States. Um, it was around the time that Clash Royale as a game launched. And um, I was the first person to go out and contract a professional team to compete in events. And then also ran some of the first uh, events, both online and live events. I ran a series out of the Chinese theater in Hollywood, California, um, and really just been building at the forefront since then. Um, partnered up with one of the greatest uh, esports orgs in North America, Complexity Gaming, um, and was director of mobile over there. Um, and then joined up at the largest mobile gaming talent management agency uh, in the West and uh, as director of business development. So I managed brand deals for you know 70 of the largest mobile games influencers and worked with some of the best uh, developers also in the space, uh, companies like Tencent and uh, uh, you know, Activision and um, uh, Supercell, et cetera. So, uh, but really, you know, got a sense also, I think, because of the mobile uh, background of what was coming here with with blockchain gaming and play to earn, uh, we really saw it pop up in mobile first regions and, and emerging markets first. Um, and uh, I think that's part of the reason why I saw it and Joao as well, perhaps uh, earlier than some of our, uh, you know, friends in the PC and console based industries. And uh, Joao and I go back for years and uh, you have always been bouncing ideas off each other, uh, being builders in mobile gaming. And uh, just was really natural for us to get together and uh, go after, you know, specifically, you know, Brazil and the gaming guild uh, market. And, and uh, here we are, you know, uh, about almost six months later uh, with, with where we are now with base. So, uh, but yeah, Joao, I'll, I'll let you do a quick intro too. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And yeah, yes, guys, I've been uh, actually building the, the mobile gaming landscape here in Brazil. But I'd say that even before I started working with esports here in Brazil, uh, I have a background coming from some technology and startups companies uh, here uh, at Brazil. And shortly after that, I actually uh, ran a, a startup international company here in Brazil to actually bring the operations to Brazil from the zero. So it was a really awesome experience uh, working with the technology startups industry here. But I'm a hardcore gamer, guys. So uh, I've been always looking for some opportunities to develop something inside of this space. And then I had the chance to be actually the head of innovation and also mobile gaming in one of the great esports organizations here in, uh, in Brazil. So specifically because of that, and uh, that uh, I was really building the landscape here, actually investing in a lot of different games. Uh, some of them, for example, like Free Fire, PUBG Mobile, Brawl Stars, Clash of Clans, we were actually the first esports org here in Brazil to invest professionally in all of these mobile games. So again, naturally, we, uh, we've been connecting and sharing a lot of ideas, me and Matt here. Uh, we are both, of course, blockchain tools um, and then here we are in building base. I'm really excited to share more about it too. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that ba- quick background. We're going to dive deep before we head into base because uh, you guys have some significant backgrounds in, in mobile sports or mobile esports. I want to give a quick shout out to Josh who was able to set this up. He One of his clients apparently is Riot and I'm a big League of Legends and Valorant player uh, and I'm a big PC gamer. So I actually like, I probably have a little bit of bias against mobile games uh, and I, I want to jump in uh and get more information because i need to be schooled on 
you know, what the differences are between maybe setting up an event or, you know, having adoption into a, a DAO or a guild as opposed to it being on desktop or PC? Like, what are the diff- traditional differences yeah. between mobile and, and desktop? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first thing that I would point out is that uh, there really aren't a ton of differences because when you look at the players, they're the same hardcore gamers that are grinding these games for hours a day. Uh, It's the same people that are hopping on to have PlayStations with friends. It's just the device that they're using is different, right? Um, And I think we've especially seen over the the last, you know, five years or so, a huge uh, surge of development uh, in the capabilities of mobile games, right? They're becoming much more robust. You're able to have this incredible gaming experience on mobile devices that you haven't, you know, generally been able to have prior than five years ago. Um, And then also mobile technology is uh, better than ever. I mean, it's now to the point where you literally have a gaming PC in your pocket. Uh, I have a phone that has 12 gigs of RAM, 144 hertz screen, and built-in error and liquid cooling, okay? And that's a phone. So uh, the fact that you can have such a robust gaming experience on mobile is really wild. And um, I think one of the biggest differences, too, that mobile has uh, is the accessibility. Because, you know, regardless of where you are in the world, chances are you've got a phone that's capable of playing games. Um, and that makes games so much more accessible, especially with a free-to-play model, uh, to where you can, you know, engage with gaming as, as you know, a, a really rabid fan, uh, no matter who you are or where you are. And that's why we've seen mobile take over in the world. Joao, how does the mobile game adoption look in Brazil? Uh, you mentioned, like, other countries outside of maybe the West, uh, you know, having a better, you know, look at mobile gaming uh, and better access there, potentially, to at least the communities and, and setting up uh, kind of like full-on adoption uh, within that country. So how does mobile gaming look uh, or gaming in general look in Brazil? Yeah, mobile gaming is extremely important here in Brazil. And even when I started working with esports, I understood that it would be a natural way uh, of the development of the esports and the gaming industry here in Brazil. Because, for example, Brazil is the, the top five country in the world in terms of the number of smartphone devices. Everybody is actually playing a lot of games. The penetration of gaming is more than 50% of the, the, the population. So it was really natural, especially after the the success of Free Fire, for example, Free Fire is one of the biggest mobile games in the world. And a big part of this success is actually because of the results they, they were achieving the last years in Brazil uh, as one of the main regions. So it's really natural for the Brazilian guys to, to, um, to actually develop this mobile gaming uh, appealing. And I totally agree with, with Matt. Accessibility is a really great point because people here in Brazil, at least a big mass, they don't have the financial power to actually have this high-end devices. And a lot of uh, game developers, they are actually developing some games that have this kind of accessibility, not only in terms of works with high-end devices, like the one that Matt mentioned it, but also with really low-end devices. So again, a lot of people can play, more audience, more engagement. So it's really important here. There has to be like some other parts of that equation, right? Of like Brazil being this like mass adopter. Cause I, I, I was playing Thetan Arena the other day, for example, and I was, you know, going on to Twitch and looking at all the streamers, all the top streamers, Portuguese, you know, like they're, that it's all Portuguese language. And they it's were a, probably our creators, by the way, when, yeah, when you saw that, so. well, <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get into that. I would love to yeah. talk about like you adopting creators, but what are some other like reasons why mobile gets adopted in a country or why Brazil and Brazilian specifically are you know just in this I don't think it's random, uh, first of all, but I mean, Brazil, first and foremost, is just one of the most passionate player bases when it comes to gaming in general, right? And that's been true for, for decades. Um, we saw, saw that especially with, you know, first-person shooter games like Crossfire or uh, Counter-Strike and um, still just a massive market as well for League of Legends. Uh, so as a player of yourself, you may know of CB LOL and the league that's going on in, in Brazil. It's massive and uh, one of the largest games also for viewership and uh, engagement on social media. Um, uh, Joao even mentioned uh, Free Fire as a title. I think it's a great example for just how huge the gaming market is in Brazil, uh, because with Brazil being the prominent region, um, Free Fire actually became the most viewed esports tournament of all time with peak concurrent viewers. They got 5.4 million peak concurrent viewers, and that record still stands today for a single stream. Um, so the fact that that can be accomplished also with the power of, of that game the influence in Brazil, it's uh, it's absolutely massive. So for us, it was a no-brainer to go, uh, you know, start in that region, and of course, uh, with Joao's existing, you know, network and, and uh, great connections and stuff in the space, and it's been 
been building there for years um, was really natural. We think there's also a great overlap with uh, play to earn gaming and, and the way that we can impact people's lives as well. Totally. Uh, I like to say that when you're looking to the success of a specific game, it's not only about the people that are playing in this game, but it's also the audience that sometimes only watching it. So what you're seeing is a huge trend here that we have a lot of the Brazilian gaming audience that are really interested uh, uh, actually to play the game or at least to watch uh, the streamers that are playing the game. So this kind of engagement really helps in terms of the development of new opportunities inside of the mobile gaming space here in Brazil. So again, uh, I think that that's a perfect scenario and that's why we're really betting uh, on some of the actions for the play tour and the scenario here, uh, starting in Brazil, of course, but looking globally. Yeah, so how did how does that adoption of users and, and basically adoption by the entire country to mobile games, how does that in turn affect like development in the country? Are there a lot of developers uh, and studios coming out of Brazil now that you see mobile games kind of taking off in the country? Or is it specifically games are created outside of the country and the user bases are in these, you know, developing or other countries? Great question. So we're actually seeing both take place, obviously, with Brazil being such a huge market from a player-based perspective. Um, lots of games are looking to enter the region, uh, but it's also just, quite frankly, a, a tough market to tap into if you're not, you know, based from Brazil or have a local team kind of helping you. Um, so there's definitely nuances with having success, and that's part of what we know well is, is you know, how to build a community in the region and, and what people are going to like and how to use our content creators to talk about games and things that are happening, right? So, uh, but the opposite is true also. I mean, there's some great publishers uh, that are from Brazil, one of them being Wildlife, who, uh, you know, uh, are transitioning and, and uh, lots of lots of developers as well uh, transitioning in the industry to Web3. Um, so we're seeing the opposite as well. I mean, there's so much talent in Brazil, especially when it comes to creativity and, and artists. There's been some phenomenal NFT projects that have stemmed out of Brazil. And um, uh, obviously, when we talk about gaming as well, with it being a huge market, there's, you know, the people here building as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to talk about your guys' background here as it comes to finding out about NFTs, Web3 Gaming, uh, and then, you know, figuring out that you wanted to found base. So how did both of you kind of have your introduction and then when did the light bulb go on? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a funny story, but it, it happens slowly and then suddenly, which is kind of a theme in Web3, right? Uh, so, you know, I, I personally got involved in Axie Infinity back in March um, just through, like, personally playing the game and, and you know, had a bit of a scholarship program. And, um, you know, come summer, I really got the sense that, like, I wanted to do something big in Web3. Um, and obviously through that process, throughout someone that I just have a lot of respect for and have always been bouncing ideas off of him, right, for years with uh, the great work he's done in building in mobile esports and Brazil. And, um, uh, you know, uh, I showed him, you know, some some things that I found in the industry. Also, like YGG, it, it became very clear, like, hey, they're in a great position. Uh, you know, they know what they're doing. It's really exciting. Like, you know, I wonder what we could do. Right. And uh, uh, Joao then then took that and managed to, you know, not just uh, nail it, but talk directly with Gabby from YGG. And uh, one thing led to another. And we ended up uh, becoming the official Brazilian expansion of Yield Globe Games. Um, and that was how Baze was founded. So we're uh, the official Brazilian branch and been able to rely on YGG in, in large part uh, as we got started, especially to jumpstart our operations and act as a bit of an accelerator for us. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, so much uh, respect for our, our great partners there. Yeah, I want to jump into that. And Joao, I want to get your background too, but w take me to like that that light bulb moment, right? Of, of okay, I, I this is Axie Infinity the first time you've heard the term NFT and then did it, really go quickly for you? Yeah, so I, I've been a like a cryptocurrency like user just personally for years um, and also like been active in the NFT space. But it was really the light bulb moment when I saw what was happening with blockchain gaming that made it so clear to me that this was the future and that I had to be part of it. Um, and to me, it really comes down fundamentally to ownership going to the players because um, we already see in traditional games that you know people are putting thousands tens of thousands of dollars sometimes into these games to get cosmetics and playable characters and stuff but you never actually have real ownership um, in fact a lot of games go so far as to make it against the terms of service to try to sell accounts or sell you know skins um, uh, but at the same time like even going back further to like uh, you know world of warcraft days and and so many other things there's been these kind of like natural markets that develop where people try to you know sell the currency 
of the title because people find it valuable and they want to buy it, right? Um, and uh, exchange skins and stuff like that. And so it's almost like blockchain gaming opens up this natural demand from the player base to actually own things and to you know uh, create a, a bit of a market around it. And so to me, that was the light bulb moment is just seeing the, the future of ownership going to the players. Um, and uh, that's only possible really at, at scale the way that it is in blockchain gaming. Joel, let's get that background uh, of how you found out about NFTs, blockchain, crypto. If you're a crypto guy from from back all the way in the day, three years ago, four years ago, uh, tell me about it. Yes, it, yeah, it's kind of a funny story because again, like Matt, I was actually investing in crypto since 2017, something like this, and and. It, all of my life, all of my life, I was actually trying to find. I'm an early adopter of new technologies, and so uh, I was actually also working with innovation. Uh, and in all of my previous jobs here, and I was always asking myself what would be the next steps for the industry that I've been working so 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 far. And then I actually started using Twitter. Twitter helped me a lot in terms of finding more things about it, this space here. So even before I started actually thinking about a business inside of this space, I, uh, like I did with startups, like I did with esports, I started looking for people. And then I actually started looking for some of the greatest builders in this space already, even outside of Brazil. And to be honest, I could only find us outside of Brazil because we are kind of the pioneers here too. So I started knowing people and providing some value, helping with a lot of people. Then I had the chance to meet Gabby from YGG, the guys from X Infinity too, some other DAOs and etc. And then it's the what we call here the rabbit hole here. I started actually studying a lot about it, sharing a lot of ideas with Matt, and he was doing the same to me. And then, uh, again, it was a natural path, but I, I think this kind of curiosity that was with me uh, uh, here and also the crypto Twitter really helped me to find the best way to, to start something and see this potential. Again, a lot of stuff, but crypto, my previous experience in gaming, esports, and great people with me, of course, Matt, uh, it was really natural. How did you guys meet, by the way, like specifically? How did we meet Joao? It was a few years ago, uh, but... I think I remember. First of all, again, Twitter. <laughs> Matt, Matt is a really well-recognized guy in terms of mobile gaming there. And then I was working with mobile gaming. I remember that at some point I sent him also a code DM on Twitter. Man, I need to know you. Let's talk. Let's like change some ideas. And then uh, the coach of Free Fire at IATZ actually also met uh, he, him. And then we got connected with uh, again from different ways. And then we started to actually start participating in the same panels, same events. He invited me to a lot of different projects, consultancy projects. To again, also natural, but I think that the first time it was via Twitter too. Thanks, Twitter. I think you're right. It's so funny because like we get a lot of people asking us too, like, hey, how can we get into this? How do we get started? And like, it's really yeah. it can be that simple sometimes. It's just like making that first connection, just taking the effort, going out a bit on a limb and sending someone a message, right? Just uh, you know, being being short to the point and like friendly, but like you can open any door if you really set your mind to it. I, I completely agree with you guys there. There's a lot of people that come to me and say, how do I get into this space? Is like well, you just have to do it. You know, you have to stop talking about it and you just have to do it and figure it out like we all did that are sitting here. But uh, a couple lightning questions here, guys. As far as gamers, I always love the nostalgia of talking about old games and what led you to being a gamer in the first place. Uh, what are some couple games that you guys like like that made you gamers? Was it WoW? Was it, you know, Mario 64? Was, you know, I don't want to date you, but let me know some games uh, that made you guys gamers. That's a that's a great question. I think like I, I myself have been obviously a gamer my whole life. That's pretty much what you'll find with people in the gaming industry. Right. Uh, but I think I started really taking it a lot more seriously uh, of all things with Clash Royale, <laughs> which is probably not the game that most people will say when they're asked that question. But to me, like that was the first time where I started you know, like I flipped that switch. And I'm like, you know what? I really want to get involved in gaming and esports uh, and I'm going to put everything into it. And um, it just happened like, you know, the timing was right. The game had just launched and, you know, everything was kind of coming together with launching an esports org. And um, but that, you know, I have still so much nostalgia for Clash Royale. And it's probably still today the game that I play the most. Uh, just also kind of reminiscent of like, you know, what I was able to do during during the, the heyday of the game and stuff like that, too. So uh, definitely uh, Clash Royale is number one for me. Awesome. Yeah. And for me, uh, 
I I don't know if I'm able to say how much how many hours I spent in some of the games that I play here. You can say but... it. make me feel better. We may have yeah. investors watching. Okay, maybe you shouldn't say. But... Well, it's not anymore, guys. Again, so we, that's beyond us. Okay, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, but I, I started actually playing a lot of some of MMORPG games here in Brazil. It was a fever, to be honest. Here in Brazil, everybody was playing a lot of this. I don't know, Priest of Tale, Runescape, all. Well, mm. uh, and I, I had a huge group of friends online and offline that was actually playing with it a lot. But again, I also had like met one one moment that I had this switch to to the next moment that I realized that man, this is so crazy, and this happened with Counter Strike. And again, Brazil has a great history in terms of the competitive game, Counter-Strike, a lot of mm -hmm. world championships, the best players. And we have a lot of them coming from here. And then I started actually traveling all over Brazil to go to some championships of esports. And then I saw a lot of people, man, I want a signature of this man. This is my idol. I could see the passion of everybody there. In all of these different places, I've been actually traveling to, to see these sort of tournaments. And then uh, after one tournament in Belo Horizonte here in Brazil, uh, man, it was crazy. I, I need to, 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 to work with that. Uh, and that's what that was my, my, sh my shift here. I really played a lot of Counter-Strike, but also was uh, actually a, a, an eSport uh, enthusiast for for it and then i started looking to to work inside of this industry this, this is a uh, constant theme here on the show but people have to wait a long time before we actually make it to the project because i have all these little trivia or like mini questions that i ask so joao are you a give me a thumbs up or thumbs down for valorant are you a big big valorant player at all or are you do you like valorant i like that <laughs> in the last years fps is actually my main Kind of yeah. spending some time gaming between FPS and of course mobile gaming with some Brawl Stars, Wide Rift. But yes, Valorant, I like that. Yeah, this this is a really cool conversation because, especially because you guys have a mobile background, you're a little bit more broad in the terms of being able to get connected to people around the world, right? At least that's an assumption that I'm making. Uh, I love the game of soccer. I think it's really cool that in different areas you have different types of players. Are there is this is that in esports as well? Do you see a difference between like in soccer, Brazilians play it really beautifully, and then the Germans they play really efficiently? Is there like a is there a difference in gamers around the world that you see? Like maybe Koreans are more technical or things like that that we see in League? That's a fascinating question, actually. I, I've never been asked that before. Uh, but I, I do think that there are some differences. Um, specifically, we see that in MOBAs, where uh, generally, like, you know, Eastern regions have just been ahead of the West when it comes to MOBA esports for quite a while. And part of that is their ability to just work as a unit and uh, focus on macro. And uh, generally, Western esports players are just kind of, they get kind of tunnel visioned and aggressive and go for the kill, whereas, you know, Eastern players might be happy to give up a kill if it means that they gain territory, right? Um, so uh, there's definitely, I think, one macro difference that I've seen in MOBAs for sure. Joao, do you have any any comments there? Is there a difference between like a, a U.S. and a Brazilian uh, gamer? I had some international experiences, of course. Had a, there are some kind of different profiles that, that that we can really see that. But but to be honest, uh, um, there's nothing so 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 different for me. But when we look, for example, to the audience. I don't know, there's something different with the Brazilian audience. They're kind of crazy. I remember until today when we had a World Championship of Counter-Strike in Brazil, all of the players needed to <laughs> ask for the audience to stop screaming so loud. Because they, they, they even with the, <laughs> the, the, the noise canceller, they weren't listening to each other. So again, we are really engaged and love to cheer for something. But in terms of players, uh, I see some points, but not so critical. All right, last question that I have before we move into Bayes here. You guys are familiar, obviously, with the esports scene uh, in kind of in general, right? And I, I was having this conversation with Josh here before we pressed live, uh, who set this episode up, and that NFT people want to be in esports, or at least NFT gaming people want to be in esports, and esports wants to get into NFTs. Just from your experience, what is the esports kind of sentiment here? I know, uh, Matt, especially you're out in L.A., there's a lot of headquarters for esports organizations out there. What are the conversations you're having with the esports orgs 
out there right now as it's related to NFT gaming? Yeah, uh, great question. So I think that the broader esports industry is still kind of learning about what NFTs and blockchain gaming specifically are. Um, you know, I think with any new technology, there's just this element of kind of skepticism and that you don't, you know, you kind of shy away from things you don't understand, right? And we, we like Joao and I and everybody in the mobile esports industry have kind of been building through this type of stigma as well to an extent because uh, in the, the esports industry, mobile esports is kind of the new kid on the block, right? Where we are kind of fighting through stigma and, you know, uh, fighting through even within like the perception of what esports people think on the PC and console based side. So blockchain gaming is kind of this new phenomenon that's popping up. It does have a bit of, you know, uh, perceptions of people people that have strong opinions but don't understand really what they're talking about, right? Um, and so we're kind of trying to pierce through that through education and information and um, really being an example of how blockchain gaming should operate sustainably and with, you know, uh, NFTs that are built for utility and, uh, you know, long-term sustainability in mind. Um, so I think uh, most of the esports industry, at least as I understand it right now, is just kind of like waiting to see and trying to learn um, but I don't think it's going to be long at all until we see some of the first movers really coming in at scale. The point is, it's a little bit harder for some people to be an advocate for something if they don't really understand more about this. And that's why we are focusing a lot in education, not only entertainment. So it's two pillars that we need to work at the same time here. So again, it's, it's going to be natural, but we need to provide more context about why it's important and why it's going to be the next revolution. Yeah, it, it really has been a wild ride for us. Uh, I mean, it, it's crazy to think about just how much we've accomplished or have gone through right in, in six months. And I think, first of all, things like are quick when it comes to esports and gaming. But in Web3, it's like another level. And so uh, thinking about this is like thinking about the Stone Ages when in reality it was like seven months ago that we, we went through this. But um, but yeah, so Joao being so savvy and making connections and using uh, crypto Twitter, you know, uh, was able to get that first introduction with Gabby and um, uh, I mean I would love to hear your perspective on that conversation Joao but it seemed like just from that very first conversation it was really clear that there was something big to be had and uh, we were able to just get a ton of support from them as well and, and uh, take those first steps in founding base as a gaming guild. Exactly that was something really clear to us because uh, we understood that the biggest builders on Web3 it's like a little bit of difference from where we came from. They are really open and collaborative in terms of helping potential projects, of course. So since day one, they understood how 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 is the potential that we could bring to the table, and they were completely open to help us start the project. Actually, started connecting both me and Matt with the best people inside of each one of the areas to really build a Web three native company like governance, token economics, investors, again, access to capital everything that you may imagine uh, they were really helpful to us since day one was that new to you guys was that just completely like holy shit we're talking like deep tokenomics here thank you so much for being here we, we definitely were self-aware early on about what we we're good at and what we need to learn so uh that was part of what we focused on especially in our seed round was including strategic partners that are going to cover our basis on crypto native processes on tokenomics DAOs, etc um and of course you know with the strong help of ygg to ramp up the guild operations being able to use their structure as a template for us right uh, in order to get started so um it wasn't shortly after that point Point, though that we really got the sense that we could build something special and uh, really scale an amazing company and uh, you know as soon as we especially got through that seed round it turned our focus immediately to hiring the best people in the world um, and so uh, we made a few great additions actually we were uh, uh, the first uh, gaming guild to acquire another gaming guild um, it's a great team that we're actually starting a similar operation locally in Brazil and um, instead of you know uh, competing we're like hey look we can join forces and become something that's better than some of our parts um, and they were essentially also approaching a guild model from another angle. So we were building the, we had a great foundation of crypto native processes at that time, the fundamentals down and strategic partnerships. And they brought this awesome uh, angle with, you know, superstar creators and uh, also some intellectual property they've been developing. And we were able to join forces and merge executive teams as well. Um, so that was a, a great moment for us to jumpstart. And uh, uh, we were able to continue adding on to the, the team as well shortly after that. This merger acquisition conversation is really dope because uh, it's happening in the PFP space now with like the apes buying crypto punks uh we see it you know from dow to dow uh what was the guild's name and then let's break down exactly like what that looks like in practice like 
Is there a, a loss of users or people f that don't want to essentially be acquired uh, by base? Um, yeah, so it actually worked out really smoothly for us. Um, the guild uh, at the time was called Soma, uh, which means plus in Portuguese. Um, and uh, essentially they had only just begun. They were not even like uh, beginning their seed round fundraising process. And so it was just a very smooth process of bringing them on essentially directly at the base level and uh, bringing the intellectual property that they'd been developing to us. And, um, and so we were able to get through that moment quickly and uh, just cont continue uh, basically building out our, our uh, team here. So as of now, we're uh, 45 full-time employees. Uh, we're looking to double that actually over the next three months um, and uh, uh, going through also a series A now that we're looking to um, really hyperscale as well uh, during this next phase. Joao, can you give me any background on what you're kind of building behind the scenes and what your role is uh, at Bayes? Of course, of course. Again, since day one, we understood how important it is to actually be a global company, but uh, look at Brazil as our first step. So it was really important for us as base to really be connected with the best people here inside of the gaming industry already. So we understood that we only not was in the, the best spot in terms of industry, that it's a play to earn model, again, a Web3 and etc. in the same place. But we understood that in order to build this big dream we did it the best people so again it was really important and it is already until today to have this close connections with everybody in the game industry here uh, in brazil to, to really be connected with the best people and of course uh, develop some of the more regional actions here and we are always working together dividing this kind of international development and regional development here so i think it's the the best way possible oh yes uh, we are i'm working a lot of different things here in terms of the business but this region regional knowledge knowledge was really important for us until now also an interesting note if you don't mind uh, our our roles technically are co-ceo together and i think that's been so important for us to be able to grow so quickly is that we each have the autonomy to really shot call and and move quickly right because we're so aligned on our vision for this company um and uh you know again being able to really build out a team that we trust um just a couple people to, to shout out we're never going to be able to get to all the amazing people at the company but um one of our first uh hires was Guy barbosa he was previously head of uh global gaming business development at bike dance the parent company of TikTok. Um, was running all of uh, TikTok gaming also in LATAM. And he left ByteDance in that executive position to join us here as managing director. Uh, we we're also also able to bring on, we mentioned how big Free Fire is with content. Uh, the former director of content for Free Fire Esports is now our director of content, Carolina. Um, and we also have the, the phenomenal uh, uh, woman who built out the cr uh, creator community at TikTok and designed essentially the creator program that was then scaled globally. Uh, she's now had a community for us here. So um, also executives that you know uh, were involved with EA and BBL and Riot Games and, and Garena, et cetera. But we're really uh, uh, so, so proud of all the people in the caliber that we have and the, the faith that they have for leaving such great positions in Web2 gaming to come build out this venture with us. It's amazing. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that pitch meeting is, is too hard with a team like that, guys. You're, you're doing a good job uh, getting that team together. Yeah, it, it helps. And, you know, talent attracts talent is another thing as well. Um, you know, people that are really good want to want to be able to operate and do amazing things together with other great people. So, uh, you know, hoping to keep this up and, like I said, expand uh, and double our size over the next few months here. Yeah, that's dope. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the content piece. And we mentioned it earlier in the episode that you guys are really focused on streamers. How are you guys? thinking about streaming and content creators as it relates to web3 that being like nft integrations or social tokens or just tokens in general uh, i think that that this is a spot that we're just making our way to right i think dr disrespect just mentioned he's going to do like some type of nft uh, so shout out to the doc but how are you guys thinking about streaming and content as it's related to nfts yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, first and foremost, uh, the easiest way to think about how we interact with content creators is is just like an esports org, right? So if you're familiar with a hundred thieves or a, a phase clan or team liquid, they, you know, we really just go out and sign content creators and they represent us in our brand. And uh, we kind of work them into some official content at the company level and stuff like that. So um, that's how we're currently interacting with a, a lot of our content creators. But um, we've, we were able to actually announce a couple huge acquisitions uh, from the content creator side of our company. Uh, we just released, uh, I believe it was a, like a week and a half ago or something, uh, Nobru and Saral, who are two just superstars, larger than life in Brazil. Uh, I think the combined social following for the two of them is like 
either 60 or 70 million followers across all their socials. Um, and so we were able to basically put on this really beautiful production. It's, it's almost like a cinematic quality trailer uh, to announce them joining the company. It was, it was designed to also teach people and their, their audiences, of course, about play to earn. What is it, right? So it goes through kind of this awesome script and puts them in funny situations where, you know, they're ordinary people. They're delivering, you know, to a, a customer or something. And they're like, oh, I can make money through play to earn gaming. It's like, yes, of course, you know. So it's really funny. I encourage you guys to all check it out. I think it's still our pinned tweet on the Bayes Twitter. I saw it today. Uh, yep. It's amazing. Bayes GG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, really excited about what we're doing on the creator front. Yeah, take me through kind of t- your talks with these uh, these creators, Joao, because I'm assuming you're the one on the ground talking to these guys. It's, it's, they're Portuguese or they're Brazilian and they're speaking Portuguese. What are the conversations you're having with these Brazilian streamers and how does that go? Yeah, I think it, it was really natural too because uh, part of my experience here in Brazil also was to actually work with streamers inside of the esports world and not only had the chance to meet some of them but also to meet good professionals inside of this industry. So we had a talent and partnerships department here inside of uh, base with some great professionals from this space already that really helped us to get connected and know how to deal and talk with all of these streamers. But I think we have two main profiles here well the first one is actually the native ones that it's a little bit easier uh, and it really doesn't matter we have people even from outside of brazil but uh, in terms of the native audience people that we really started streaming nft games and etc uh, we have about 70 to 80 percent of all of the hours watched on twitch here in brazil until now and that's maybe why matt said that if you are looking at some Portuguese streamers, maybe it's one of our creators too. But in another hand, we are helping having some great conversations with some, like Matt was saying here, great Web2 traditional gaming creators that are looking for this switch for, for Web3 gaming too. So again, we are helping a lot of them, not only bringing this kind of support in terms of entertainment, content, and etc., but educating not only their audiences, but even then, we are providing a lot of content and some workshops and different program, <clears throat> programs here to help them know more about what they are looking for. So, yeah, it's becoming a little bit easier because everybody's talking about it right now. It's going for the mainstream. So, again, we are here to help them. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about uh this idea that like guilds are going to go into this 2.0 fashion, right? We've seen a lot of guild 1.0s of we are just kind of a scholarship farm and you guys are the next, I feel like iteration where you're really focused, not just on setting up a scholarship with a user, you're focused on making a brand and having a culture and having content around that. What do you guys foresee as like the future for these guild 1.0s and web three? Is it, is there going to be like a really big pullback in maybe ones that got started in the bull market. You know, it's easy to throw up a micro gill when Axie Infinity is at $100, you know, and you're making great cash. How do you guys foresee this, like, move or growth of guilds in the next couple years and how they'll look? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. I think, you know, first and foremost, we are in a bit of an odd time, maybe is the best way to describe it for play to earn gaming, because like Axie Infinity, for example, have amazing things that they have planned for their next origin and V3 launch. But it's just a matter of time, right, before they're able to release those and ship the features and stuff. So um, even if you're a scholarship guild in Axie Infinity, I mean, the state of the game right now is going to be totally different, in my you know uh, opinion, and, and not financial advice, uh, to what it is going to be, you know, when the, the next game mode launches. Um, and so I think, you know, um, I totally understand how some of the sentiment might be if you're just like a, a 1.0 guild right now. But um, I think it's also just dependent on the games that are available. And we know other titles like Alluvium are launching in the in the future and Star Atlas and some of these AAA quality type games. Um, so uh, I'm interested to see, you know, uh, as these launch, how the 1.0 model uh, continues to grow. Um, but at the same time, like we got into this from day one, knowing that we want to build beyond 1.0. And that's based on our learnings from esports, traditional gaming, and, you know, knowing also the esports organization model, right? Um, so obviously it's different and there's new revenue streams here in blockchain gaming, but uh, to us it was a, a no-brainer that we wanted to take that structure. Yeah, I don't mean to like completely put the 1.0 terminology uh, into everyone's like lexicon here. It, do, you, do you actually view it that way? And then how, like what are things that a guilds are doing now that, you know, you're seeing and you're like, I wouldn't do that. You know, like I don't see like a future of that. Like where, where are guilds kind of dropping off or dropping the ball essentially right now? I, I would personally say that guilds that 
aren't building support infrastructure for scholars um, are are kind of falling short, you know, or, or not taking advantage of all the opportunities or things that they should be doing. Um, uh, you know, for example, if you're just running, if you're assigning someone to an NFT to play it, and after you assign them, you never talk to them again. It's like, are you are you really growing? You know, is that player getting better? <laughs> is it, you know, is that asset being fully utilized? So uh, even on our scholarship, the pure 1.0 operations, from the start, we wanted to even take inspiration from esports orgs and teams, right? So that we have support staff around them and dedicated coaches, managers, sessions, right? Tracking their progress and growth. And uh, I think it's also so important. I always see Jiho on Twitter from Max Infinity talking about the personal development of scholars and educating them on financial practices and what to do with their earnings and how you know they can manage them responsibly. And I think that that's such an awesome thing. Um, so we we also want to you know go the extra mile and not just put assets to use, you know, but to actually create the community where there's knowledge sharing and growth that's taking place. And I think that that's an important thing for all scholarship operations, even ones that are just focused on that 1.0 type of stuff. Yeah, with the lending piece here and the, and the scholarship piece, do you see that potentially going to your streamers that you signed as well? Like, is there going to be a situation where you have like this really big streamer playing an awesome game and you guys lend him this $50,000 asset, uh, not for ownership purposes, of course, but like maybe it's during a tournament or what have you. How do you guys view lending assets to like streamers? We want to have the best assets in the games that we're in. So, you know, that's also kind of part of the appeal is being able to see these games at their best and have access to awesome stuff. Uh, and that includes things inside the game and outside the game, right? So um, that's definitely, definitely a part of it for us. I'm going to pause here because I do have a question from the community, but I also wanted to do this giveaway for those of you that made it this far into the episode. We're almost, I think we're like 10 minutes from completion here. So we're, we're just starting these giveaways on stream. So forgive me if I really completely botched this but guys uh what this is the way it's going to work you're going to go to spotify you're going to drop a rating on the nifty q show uh you are going to our discord the lad city discord will it'll be in the description it is in the description now uh and then you're going to you know snapshot and give me a receipt of you you know doing that rating and then we have a copy of snow crash and pizza sticks nft uh giveaways here so one person is going to be picked here at random from that giveaway to win a copy of snow crash and pizza sticks nfts shout out to the pizza dow for getting that done uh for us so get that done audio if you're listening afterwards we got it's like 48 hour window so you got time Guys, <laughs> I'll get better at that, I promise. Uh, question from the community. Do you see growth in, in platforms like Theta, DLive, or Ultra? Will these gain decent traction in the Web3 esports streaming? So kind of a more traditional versus grassroots question, I think, there. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question uh, because, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, companies pop up even just in traditional gaming when it comes to streaming services. Um, you know, everybody that's been in traditional gaming and following esports side knows about Mixer and, and their strategy to go sign Ninja and kind of what happened with Mixer afterwards. Uh, I, I think that, you know, in a new industry, it would probably be normal uh to for there to be a little bit of turbulence right and and new companies starting up trying to experiment and figure out how this part of the industry works right because blockchain gaming is totally different there's web3 layers that you can add on top of streaming sites there's features that are unique to blockchain and minting and uh creators you know are able to have these kind of web3 aspects to their channels as well right so um there's lots of experimentation that's happening right now um i also actually really know the team well at uh, uh theta who like they've been building some awesome stuff from like decentralized broadcast bandwidth processing and like some of these other like next level type of technologies so i uh, love to see them really you know crushing it still in the space and uh so yeah i think that you know you know it's going to be you know seen as far as how well they can execute right and, and i don't think anybody really knows uh you know who's going to really survive or what the models are going to be and stuff but right now it's all about experimenting and um the ones that can learn faster and iterate are the ones that are going to survive we are in so innovative space that sometimes it's much more about the how you adapt for for the ad habits of consuming stuff and etc. So let's see. There is no right answer here, but it's really important to really be looking for the innovation that it's coming there. So that's why I'm really happy to see some of these actions that some of these platforms are taking in terms of innovating and experimenting. To be honest, at the end of the day. So let's see. Let's see. Okay, we we will wait and see. Uh, one quick point on the the mention uh, that 
about Mixer, I think, Mixer and Ninja. What did happen with Mixer and Ninja? Because I know there's some people at home that don't know about that, and why did it go poorly? So, so Mixer's not around anymore. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, they got a little, uh, you know, they spent a lot of money, signed a lot of creators exclusively, and then could just not generate the viewership, really, is, is I think, just fundamentally what it comes down to. They, they couldn't find success as a streaming platform, and they had to close shop. So, um it's tough. It's really, really tough. So even like a company like Microsoft, right, that has such deep pockets, able to make huge investments to get, you know, creators and channels and content running, like it takes a lot to have a successful streaming platform. So especially in the early days right now with blockchain gaming and some of these startups and, uh, you know, also even a company like DLive has been around for, for years, right? But now they're focusing more on Web3. So it's just all experimentation, iteration and trying to see how uh, they can uh, push the, the narrative forward here. Yeah, it's an it's an easy look back with like 2020 vision, but like what should Mixer have done? Because I think there's a nugget in there about growing a streaming platform, growing in you know esports. Obviously, that didn't work. Signing big creators, like what's the answer then? Like because it did that? Yeah, you tell yeah. me. If I had the answer, I would probably be running things for Microsoft right now, right? And yeah. I don't know if anybody really, uh, you know, has a clear picture. Uh, but you know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing, right? Where you need channels that are producing content, and then you need the viewers that are watching it, right? And it's easy to buy one if you sign a creator's exclusivity, get them on the platform. But then suddenly they don't have access to their existing following that they just spent years building on YouTube or on Twitch, right? So you got to still have that organic community and audience and stuff. So it's a really, really dynamic problem, but. Um, as far as I understand, that's kind of the main reason. They just couldn't get the viewership and the market share to really uh, keep things going. So the followers didn't follow them to the platform. Is that what you're saying? Because I think there's a cool tie in there with, with Web3. Like mm -hmm. there's going to be people that you probably sign where followers like they're like, no, I don't want well, NFTs. That's a scam. Like, do you guys think about that at all? It's it's absolutely true, right? And we're seeing some of that uh, pushback. We were just talking to, to some news outlets about the Dr. Disrespect thing, and there was some negative publicity he got for launching his uh, project there. But um, I think that's going to be natural, right? Anytime you're an innovator, and especially someone that's at the top, that there are always going to be people that judge and criticize and try to knock you down. But a lot of that is just because of lack of understanding, right? Um, so when it comes to also uh, the way that we would transition a creator's audience into Web3, I mean, that's a very delicate process. Uh, creators have spent years, again, building this audience and having a, a sustainable channel. And it's not easy also being a creator. It's a constant grind. Um, and, and people are so protective over what they put out from a content perspective because they don't want to jeopardize their audience. Um, and so from a transition perspective, we've actually been able to kind of unlock, you know, some things to make it easier to where, um, uh, you know, a lot of times people don't even have to be promoting a single game. Uh, right, because it is a bit of a risk also to maybe cover a single game or make that a huge part of your channel. But they can just let people know, like, hey, here's Baze. This is this platform where you can go and learn everything you want about blockchain gaming, about NFTs, about cryptocurrency. Here's this community you can join in the Discord server where there's tons of people available to ask questions and to talk about it, right? And so that's kind of one of the nice entry points is that um, it's that first natural step to converting people is just giving them the resources and the understanding of how this industry works in a community where they can learn along with other people. So, Joao, what's the roadmap here for you guys uh, in the next year or two? Uh, and what are you guys doing on like a day-to-day -day basis that somebody listening right now could get involved in uh, from like a tokenomics perspective? I know nothing is investment advice. Thanks for getting in front of that. Uh, but just from a token perspective, like what can someone expect if they get involved in, in base? Yeah, again, we are so excited for what's next here. And the first thing that I, I can really bring here is that we are bringing some really innovative and creative ways to interact with our community using our token, our governance token. And uh, since day one, we've been talking a lot about how to build in the best way possible a gaming DAO. So and the best way to actually empower the community is to actually bring them to help us here, uh, designing part of our future in some points, of course, is to actually give them the power through a governance token, like the YG token, for example, etc. But we are developing some good news here in terms of that. And you know, our plan is to actually already launch our token uh, in the next few months here. Uh, it's, gonna be, it's already really close here. And, and again, a lot of new projects, new companies that we are partnering, uh, a lot of good stuff that we are going to be able to do 
tell more about it. But one thing that it's really good here is that we are focusing a lot in some new investments and partnerships with the best genres here. For example, we are looking as again as a great potential for for here some games that is what we call here football, soccer, soccer manager uh, games uh, because people actually had such a great preview history here uh, historic by playing this kind of games in Brazil. And of course, soccer Brazil in the same place. <laughs> we cannot forget that. So it, maybe it would be a, a good way to start uh, in the community. So we're going to be announcing a lot of new investments in some of these games inside of the genres. And, and again, um, Matt, feel free, of course, to add anything on uh, about it and tell more uh, about it. But the token and some new partnerships investments is going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I think it's going to blow some people's minds as far as what we have planned from that perspective. But um, I'd love to actually just reiterate, um, you know, we, we are so just looking for great people to to build along with us and to get involved and take part in this amazing journey of building into Web3 and blockchain gaming. And, you know, right now we're we're an open book. Like if someone wants to get involved, get in our Discord server and let us know. Right. And and let's build this together. So we're we have so many things also uh, in the pipeline to help make pathways for people from the community or just anyone right to come in make an impact contribute get involved uh, and then especially if you're someone that wants to really make a big impact or drive an initiative like we're all about supporting you know great builders and, and making things happen so uh, by all means you know discord is, is the best way to, to get in touch with us or, or twitter we talked about crypto twitter right uh, always an option as well but uh, it sometimes it's as simple as that and then uh you know, we'll go make history together here. Yeah, Matt and Joao, this has been a great podcast. You guys really, uh, you know, dropped a lot of knowledge here from the esports side, from the mobile sports side. Tell me one last thing as far as like mobile projects, because I think you mentioned Alluvium, Star Atlas. Uh, there's all these like kind of quote unquote blue chip potential AAA games that are coming out. Is there anything on the mobile front that like maybe people aren't familiar with in the Web3 space? Are there any like alpha drops you can give us here at the end of the episode? <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I, I can definitely drop some stuff here, but uh, I think one thing that's really important is that we're seeing a broader trend for games to make mobile part of their core development process. And that's because mobile is where, honestly, a lot of the players are, right? Especially the existing play-to-earn market and stuff. So um, it, it's the as we go on, it's harder to draw a line between what's a mobile game and what's not, right? Because even a game like Fortnite, you can play on your phone, right? And it's exactly the same game. So uh, definitely see mobile being a core part of blockchain gaming in the future and uh one game in particular that i'm excited for just because i have to name drop something rumble kong league has been saying from the very beginning mobile is a huge part of their strategy love what the team is building there we're going to be also actively involved uh Bay's kong dao is is our official sub dao for the game and uh, have some awesome projects so feel free to also check out the previous episode uh of uh, uh the, the podcast to be able to check out our, our sub dao there too i appreciate that shout out joao you got any alpha any mobile projects you're interested in other than the one matt just dropped <laughs> no no no, not one. I, I don't think so. But uh, Rome Kong League is a good name, to be honest. I, I just really wanted to, to bring here uh, a thought that everybody that's watching it right now, if you're building this space, if you're looking to build, please don't forget about mobile. And I'm not only talking about game development things. We need to improve the mobile experience as a whole, as the index side of the crypto industry in everything in all of every part of the journey we have some points of improvement in terms of accessibility and when we talk about accessibility we cannot forget about mobile platform again we are here to help with that and i hope we can have more alphas that but again it's going to be part uh, of the development in the near future right now here so let's see yeah, you guys did a great job converting a traditional PC gamer today. So I appreciate uh, all the knowledge you guys dropped. Uh, we did have a question here. Theo Vice asked, what is their Discord link? So I just dropped the Twitter link, which is going to take you, of course, to to their Twitter profile. They can You can check out Discord on their website at bayz.gg. Uh, and I'm sure you guys, you know, find find it out. Uh, I can't I can't handhold you all the way there. So, uh, Matt, Joao, this has been a great episode. I'm going to get with Josh after the episode because I do want to sit down with you guys uh, here uh, at some point, maybe next week, because uh, you guys are doing some really cool things. And I'm, I'm definitely excited uh, about what you're doing. Thank you so much for awesome. for coming on the Nifty Q show today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in as well. Uh, on audio and video here uh, on the live stream and afterwards. So we'll be here next week. Uh, Matt, Joao, do you want to say anything last 
you know to the viewers out there uh, before we sign off oh man well first of all this was fun thanks for having us uh, uh but yeah let's let's keep this conversation going and and uh also you know an open door to anybody listening that wants to you know get involved or know how they can take their first steps um happy to to point you in the right direction and see what we can do together too so uh but love what you're doing uh can't wait to tune into future episodes too thank you guys so much for uh tuning in today and uh we'll see you guys next week our vibe our tribe thank you guys <laughs>